part of leaving a legacy uh, in our lives is teaching others. And uh, I want to make a differentiation here about teaching people what to do and how to think about what to do. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to read from Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy. We're going to start in chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And I'll give you a little background here after we read it, but why don't you stand up in honor of the Word of God, and you can find this on the screen or in your phone app or uh, the Bible app there. You can find the notes. It is, um, man, I, I know it sounds like a broken record, but I can't emphasize enough how important it is in this season to be in the word of God, to know what it says, to have a clear understanding, let it change the way you think, to think different about what's going on around you. For not only us, but to teach people how to think about things. So we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Say amen if you're ready. Amen. Say oh my if you're not sure. Well, that was encouraging. <laughs> I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, we thank you for this today. God, your word constantly challenges our thought processes. Pray that it would do that today. Lord, let us start off the week thinking different. And in turn, Lord, we pray that we'd be ready. We'd be ready to teach other people godly thinking. Help us to do that this week, Lord. Help us to do it with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, coworkers. Help us to be more like Jesus. And we'll give you all the honor and the glory because it's yours. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. This is Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, hence the second Timothy title of the book. He, um, Timothy is extremely important to Paul and the gospel going forward in the first century church. The, um, Timothy, at the writing of this letter, is the pastor at the place we talked about last week, Ephesus. He's pastoring that church. He's been there about four years. Paul writes him this letter. He had written him, he'd written 1 Timothy about four years prior. And Paul and Timothy go, go back a ways and their connection to the church in Ephesus goes back a ways. And Paul's second 
kind of missionary trip he took, he picks up Timothy and they spend two or three years in Ephesus. So Timothy's not a stranger to the people in Ephesus or the church there. And in the last four years, he's become the pastor. He's young. We find out from the beginning of this letter that he might be a little timid, maybe unsure of his capabilities. There's nothing like pastoring a group of people to make you insecure. So Paul, at the beginning, which we'll talk about, is reinforcing that in Timothy's life. He's like, hey, man, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be timid. Now, Paul, on the other hand, is at the exact opposite end from where Timothy is. Timothy is young, starting out his ministry career. Paul is writing this from a dungeon in, in Rome. It's not the first time he's been locked up in Rome, but it is the first time that he's going to spend a decent amount of time in a dank, dark dungeon. First time he was arrested in Rome, he was in house arrest. And it was kind of loosey-goosey a little bit. People were coming in to see him. He was still doing Bible studies. And so he had some freedom. Now on this arrest, it's totally different. When you read 2 Timothy, you don't get, you don't get the idea that Paul's ministry is going to continue. Matter of fact, what we just read, verse 7 and 8, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. It's a... It's a that's a, a kind of nod to an Old Testament um, offering to God where they would pour out a cup. And he says, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. I've run the race. I've finished the race. I kept the faith. And now it's coming to an end. Matter of fact, Paul would die. Paul would be killed not too long after this letter. If you read Philippians, the letter to the Philippians is written around the same time. It's at the end of Paul's life. So Paul's not writing to Timothy going, hey man, we're going to be in this for a while. I'm going to be beside you. I'm going to be running with you. He's saying, matter of fact, in 2 Timothy, his second letter, he's saying, come to me. I don't have a lot more time. He's trying to implore Timothy to come to him. And at the end of 2 Timothy, he, he starts to list out some people that didn't do him right and people that meant a lot to him. He's like, hey, Timothy, remember this guy? Wasn't a great guy, but remember these people? They've been, they've been extremely helpful to me and, and encouraging. And he says a couple times, man, I need you to come to me. I need, I, I need you in these last days. How many of you know your current circumstances can dictate a lot of how you're thinking? You ever caught yourself in a stressful circumstance going, man, I've never thought this way before. I've never, never contemplated the things I'm contemplating now. I've never, like, like it's just like a whirlwind is happening. There's more stress than ever. There's more pressure. There's more thing. Maybe there's a change in your life. And you're like, man, I don't know. Well, Paul's writing to Timothy. You got to remember, Paul's writing Timothy, his protege, saying, I don't have a lot longer to be here. Can you imagine Timothy's, Mindset about like, what am I gonna, who am I going to ask now? Who am I going to talk to? How am I going to get some instruction? What's going to happen? The pressure of what Timothy was doing, pastoring a church in that, in Ephesus, trying to figure out, okay, you have to remember he's teaching something that wasn't part of the culture. Was, he wasn't in America where we're like, God bless America. It wasn't like that. So Timothy's an uphill battle in Ephesus. And 
So you can imagine. So Paul, in this fourth chapter, gives him like this legal charge. It's like they're in a courtroom. I charge you, Timothy. And he prefaces what he's getting ready to charge him with, with the context of what, how he's going to charge him. So he's saying, I'm holding you to account to do these things. Well, before that, I need you to understand the mindset in which I want you to think about this. Because your mindset is important. Amen? So, so here's, why, here's why it's so important. Because you end up teaching the mindset that you have. Say, like, no, I don't. Oh, yes, you do. You ever heard the term, a lot more is caught than taught? Your mindset is oozing out of you like garlic smell after Italian night. (laughs) What you think ends up getting taught by default. And so Paul tells Timothy, look, there's a lot of things that are getting ready to happen, man. A lot of things getting ready to happen. So here's what I need you to think about right now. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. When is he saying this? In the future. He's coming back to to be the final judge of everything. Man, that puts a different perspective on it, doesn't it? He's saying, Timothy, look, I know a lot of stuff's happened. I know there's a lot of pressure. I know I'm writing you my final letter. I know, I, I know this feels urgent that you need to come to me and I'm, and, and I'm wrapping this thing up and it's going to be all this stuff's going on. But I need you to think past me. I need you to not have your head so far down this current circumstance that you don't see past what's going on. And Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't point to the next good thing. He points to the good thing. You know, so much of our lives is consumed by hoping something good happens next. Isn't it? You say, man, if something good could just happen next. Paul did not say, hey, Timothy, it's going to get better. He didn't say that. He says, Jesus is the final judge. When he wants to check how Timothy is thinking, he says, in this context, remember the end. Remember the end. Play the long game, Timothy. Remember all the way to the end, Jesus will be the final judge of what's going on, and you will be rewarded. So if you are here this morning, and you've got the fog of life wrapping around you, and you're just hoping for one good thing to pop out, it may be useful to lift your head up and go, at the end, it will be okay. Because circumstance can't govern the way we think. Man, if you want to end up being crazy, let your circumstances govern the way you think. I know a few people. If you want to be angry all the time, let your circumstances. Come on, there's something to be angry about every day. If you want to be irritated with somebody close, just let your circumstances rule the way you think. Paul says, don't, it's about then. I'm charging you because of what will happen, not because of what is happening. I'm charging you because Jesus is on the throne. I'm I'm reminding you because the end 
the end, Jesus is going to make it all right. I'm charging you because, not because of what's currently, not because I'm dying, not because my ministry is coming to the end. No, I'm not, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. So he says, in light of the return of Christ, in light of Jesus being the judge, here's what I want you to do. So he says, you got to have the mindset that current circumstances are not only governing factor in our lives. They're not the only governing factor of our thoughts or actions. Christ is the final authority. That, that points to something else. If it doesn't seem right now, if it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do now, it could be the right thing for eternity. You know, you know, you get that feeling. You just like, man, I want to lash out and give them a good whooping. Well, that might feel like the right thing to do now, but in light of eternity, probably not the right thing to do. Everyone online is going, "Amen," and everybody here is like, "Well, I don't know. It depends. Depends on how much they deserve it." I mean, Pastor Chris is kind of circumstantial. It's not. He's saying it doesn't matter what it feels like, doesn't matter whether it seems right. The right thing to do is the right thing to do. The right way to think is the right way to think because Jesus is the final arbiter of all that. Not your current circumstance. So in light of that, he charges him. I told you before I love lists in the Bible. Lists in the Bible are easy to follow. Got the semicolon and a bunch of commas and we're all good. So here it goes, verse two. Preach the word. What's he saying? Proclaim the word of God. Teach people what the word of God is. Teach them what God says about things. And then he says this. Be ready in season out. Be ready all the time. Be ready all the time. Be ready at the restaurant. Be ready at the hospital. Be ready ready at Walmart. Be ready at Walmart. Be ready at Walmart. (laughs) Be ready. Like if you got to go up to the door of Walmart and start slapping yourself in the face, like, ah, I got to be ready. He says, always be ready. This is why the word of God in you consistently is so important. Because being ready all the time requires you to already know what the word of God says. Because it is really difficult in an aisle in Walmart when somebody asks you, hey, what is the right thing to do for you to go, hey, wait a second, I haven't read that part. Now, I know you may just be starting out, but this is, a, this is an encouragement to get into it so that we become more ready all the time. Amen? If you're a math teacher, I would hope that you weren't figuring out two times two in front of the five-year-olds. Teacher, what's two times two? Uh, Let's hold off on that a little bit. I haven't gotten that far in the book. So he's exhorting Timothy, be ready. Know what the word of God says and be ready all the time. In every circumstance, be ready. Okay. Then he gives... Three things in a context. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Complete patience. 
here's where I think we might have messed up. I've raised three kids with, um, and, and they've turned out really well. I'm thankful, I'm thankful. And I've, I've told people that, um, that my kids were extremely docile and I would probably ruin your kids. So I'm very thankful for the family we have, very thankful, extremely thankful. But something that I learned, or something that we started doing, I don't even know if it was on purpose early on, is I didn't want to just tell them what to do. I wanted to sit around the table and tell them why to do it. I wanted to make sure they thought right about it. They didn't like those conversations all the time. It's like, why is she still going on about this? And then I would figure out when everybody got up from the table and I'm just sitting there by myself, like, hey, this is a really good conversation. And they're like. But I wanted to make sure they knew how to think because I knew I wouldn't be around all the time to tell them what to do. Mm. You see, if the church goes out into the world just with the idea that we're going to tell people what to do, that'll wear people out. And the church has had a history of trying to tell people what to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Come to Jesus and you're like, man, this is awful. I remember as a kid not being able to go to the dances. I remember not, some of you are like, what cult were you a part of? I remember not being able to go to the movies because it was easier to tell you not to go to the movies than have the wisdom to decide what you were going to watch. It was easier to tell you what to do than tell you how to think about it. <laughs> I hear a couple of people that grew up in the 80s with the church. You can't go here, can't go there, can't play cards. I kept thinking, is the Jack evil? Like, I don't understand what's going on here. No, no, you couldn't play cards because you might start gambling. Well, then by that definition, horses are evil too. <laughs> so what happened was we started trying to tell people what to do instead of telling them how to, teaching how to have a godly mentality about what they're doing. Do you, do you remember the saying, the old saying, give a man a fish and feed him for a day? Teach him how to fish and I think that should be the way the church works. It's super easy. When I was a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, <laughs> ooh, just be glad your kids didn't grow up in my youth ministry. And I'm sorry for those of you that did. <laughs> I remember wanting to control kids because I was afraid they would get in trouble. Any parents? Come on. I remember in youth ministry just because I wanted them to turn out a certain way. And it was even, it was just like, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I remember doing that even though I might have treated my own kids different. I just wanted to, because I thought, well, they're only with me for a certain amount of time, so I got to make sure they're not doing these bad things. You don't need a girlfriend now. You know what that leads to. (laughs) So, that wears you out. That wears you out. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're responsible for everything everyone does. 
I charge you in light of Jesus' return to be responsible for what everyone does in your church. Woo! You will talk about a full-time job. We can't even manage ourselves sometimes. How are we going to be responsible for everybody else? But that's not what he did. He said, preach the word and teach people how to think for themselves. So I started thinking, I don't want to be responsible for what you do. But I will take on the mantle of being responsible for how people think. If I could present the word of God to you enough, if I could present but here's the, the mandate doesn't stop with me. The mandate goes out across the church. You're a follower of Christ. And so it's our job to raise up followers of Christ, not people being dictated to, but voluntary followers of Christ. People with the mentality, with the thinking that Jesus is the Messiah and therefore they're going to submit their will to him. And it's not a list of rules, but it's a mindset Amen? I've said for years that uh, I'm glad Jesus didn't make a bunch of rules because I'm a rule breaker by default. I'm like, well, does it really? Well, I mean, why would we make a rule? So I told first service, um, if any of you hear anybody here, if, if anybody in the service hears anybody at this church ever say, well, that's the rule, you know it didn't come from me. <laughs> didn't come from me. Because here's what I realized about Jesus. When they came to Jesus and said, hey, what are the most important things? What are the rules to follow? You know what? He didn't give them a whole bunch. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And these two rules, these two, two, wrap up the whole Old Testament, the law, everything in the Old Testament can be wrapped up in two rules. Parents, ease up a little bit. Even the Savior of the world said there was only two real rules. All the teenagers would be like, Woo! We're coming back next week. <laughs> Mom and Dad, be a part of this church. No rules, church. Come well, on, you better come home when they say come home. When they'd ask Jesus about a rule, he'd say, well, the kingdom of heaven looks like this. And he would paint this picture of how to think about it. Because listen, blindly following a rule doesn't, doesn't equate devotion. Mm. If you've ever been a teenager, you know blindly following a rule does not equate devotion. It just means you escaped a whipping. That's it. How many of you grew up saying, I would never make my kids do that, but you did it? Oh, you're still afraid to raise your hand. I see how it is. You're like, no, 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 my parents could be watching the live stream. I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> Listen, the, the, so, so if we just make rules up and we don't teach people how to think. So Paul tells Timothy at the end of his life, hey, this is the important thing. Preach the gospel. Preach a right way to think about eternity. Preach the right way to think about sin. Preach the right way to think about this. Because he knew Timothy couldn't control what people do. But he said, preach. Be ready all the time to give a reason. And he said, there's a couple things that, ways that this happened. 
Reprove, rebuke. Come on, we like those, don't we? We like the rebuke part. And exhort. I heard this said a long time ago, and it's something that I've adopted in, in dealing with people. Relationships are like banks. You can't draw money out unless you put money in. Now, banks have gotten weird about it here lately. Like, there's these apps where you can get, like, kind of like they can front you the money. I'm like, that seems dangerous. But regular banking, you put money in. Everybody understand? And you take money out. If you're old school, think of it like under your mattress. You put money in, and then you lift it up, and if there's nothing there, you can't take it. All right, now I got most everybody. Okay. Deposits and withdrawals, deposits and withdrawals, deposits and withdrawals. Well, relationships are like that. I started realizing I can't correct people that I don't know. I'm not even going to try. Why would I try to take a withdrawal out of your life if I've never put anything in it? Why would I try to rebuke you for something if I've never put a deposit in? If I'm never encouraged, how can I correct? If you're parenting right now, remember this. It applies to four-year-olds as well. If all we do is take out, pretty soon you go bankrupt. So the issue is, is this is the way Jesus did things. When he, when he, when he walked up with the woman caught in adultery in the, in the, and the religious guys were standing around or getting ready to stone her to death. And Jesus walks up. He did not say, did she do it? He didn't try to find out if she was guilty or not. He didn't, he didn't start asking her a hundred questions like, hey, did they catch you? It wasn't a legal trial. He walked in and he made a deposit in her life by rescuing her. He walks into the circumstance and he says, hey, you without sin cast the first stone. And everybody just started being jugglers. They're like, oh... Let me think about that for a second. I mean, we really weren't going to throw any rocks. We were practicing for the circus. It's coming to Jerusalem next week, and we're just for a part-time job. And then the Bible says Jesus got down and started writing in the dirt. They're not sure what he wrote, but it was enough to make them all leave. Put the rocks down, walk away. I think he earned the right to then look at her and go, don't do this again. He didn't harp on some big lecture. There's a better way to do this. Go and sin no more. Think about it. He didn't give her a whole list of what not to do. Hey, I just saved you. Now here's a new way to think. I just saved you. You don't have to do what you did before. If we as a church could realize that teaching people how to think about God includes as many deposits as it does withdrawals, I think it might look different. And so Jesus does this over and over and over again. He goes, Matthew, the tax collector, he doesn't, he doesn't go to his house and go, hey, wait a second, I gotta find out if Matthew's a real dirt ball or just a little bit of a dirt ball. If it's a little dirt ball, I'll still go. He doesn't, he just goes, no, I wanna spend time with Matthew. Zacchaeus, the same thing. I just wanna spend time with these guys. So he just goes to their house regardless 
of what they're currently doing or how they're currently thinking. Jesus makes a deposit of time in them, and then they end up changing the world after he leaves. I mean, was there stuff in Matthew's life he could talk about? I'm sure there was. Matter of fact, he was making so many deposits at that point in time that he got labeled as a guy who who eats and drinks with sinners, a tax collector. He's a drunkard. Could you imagine making so many deposits in people's life that they just start associating you with them, whether you're doing it or not? Maybe that's why we don't do it. Jesus made deposits, and then when it was time, he could say, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? On the boat that was caught up in the storm, he had enough deposits that he could rebuke them. So when we're teaching people how to think, it's got to be both sides. It's got to be a lot of encouragement and some rebuke. It's got to be a lot of encouragement and some rebuke. And some people are wired to ridicule. Don't raise your hand. We know who you are. And that's fine. That's fine. As long as you change the way you think about it every now and then and encourage with the ridicule. Come on, somebody who's been a victim of that, say amen. Let's go. We got to bind up together. So he says, um, there's, a, there's another little part of that. There's a qualifier at the end of reprove, rebuke, incur, uh, exhort. Does anybody know? Can you put that scripture back up? The, the repu- reprove, rebuke, exhort, because there's a qualifier at the end of it, how we're supposed to do that. Does that did anybody read that? With complete? Oh, man. So I remember, and I've told you this before, if you've been coming here any length of time, I remember when we used to use the term backslide. Anybody remember that? How this would play out is you would go to Walmart and you would see somebody that goes to your church and you'd see them smoking a cigarette out front of Walmart. And you'd be like, oh, they're backslidden, man. (laughs) Away from the Lord. Totally away from God. Yeah, I caught them. Holy Spirit led me to Walmart for some deodorant. And um, (laughs) I knew it was, I could feel the Spirit in me. And then I saw them in front of Walmart and they did, they're like, I saw the smoke. I saw it. I saw it. And so I, I was like, Lord, they obviously have turned away from you. Matter of fact, they may hate you now. And so you don't even talk to them because you know it's awkward and you're just like. <sighs> Aren't you glad most of the stuff you've done never got publicized? Hmm. Or we'd all be red-faced in here. That last thing, the patience thing, is the thing that gets us. You ever been worn out with, with a kid or worn out with a spouse? Just worn out. Just like somebody, take this kid. I can see all the parents of Tyler's like, Lord, you heard my prayer. Could you imagine Timothy preaching at a church 
that the whole place around him was full of paganism, illicit sex. Oh, wait a second. That sounds like here. And having to just walk with people. And you've heard me say before, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And it just seems like it never get a lot of momentum. Just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm trying to teach them how to think, teach them how to think, teach them how to think. And then the old thought comes back. And then teach them how to think, old thoughts. Teach them how to think, old thoughts come back. It's just back and forth, back and forth. If Paul hadn't included patience, we would be justified with being impatient. But he threw it in there. So I don't even use the term backslidden or turned away from the Lord right now because I don't know if it's a season of two weeks, three months, or what. But I know that Paul said just be patient and keep investing, keep teaching, keep teaching because you never know when something you teach could pop somebody out of a dark place in their life. And so that's why he says be patient. So never... That was, that was good. That was good. That was worth clapping. Never give up on a kid. Hmm. Just getting started. Never give up on somebody. Never give up on somebody. He doesn't say, he does, matter, matter of fact, in the New Testament, there are rare occasions where it says to disassociate with somebody. Rare occasions. It's not an overarching Theology in the New Testament to be like, hey, they they messed up, just don't be around them. No matter of fact, it's got to be explained that Jesus is so patient, it seems like sometimes he's just slow. He said, no, 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 he's not slow like you think he is, he's patient so that nobody would, would perish. So how much do we teach? We just keep teaching. Over and over and over and over and over again. God knows when it's going to take hold. Our responsibility is just to keep giving it to him. Keep giving it to him. Keep giving it to him. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you how to think about it. I don't want to micromanage your life. I want you to get the gospel in you so it changes the way you think. And then nobody has to manage your life. Paul says, be patient, man, and keep teaching. Be patient with people. Come on, you never know. Be patient. Be patient with them when you teach them how to think. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. Then he says this. Don't do what the world does. And if you're not going to do what the world does, the best place to start is to change the way you think. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice he didn't say the renewal of your deeds because he knows those come later. He says, if you really want to change, change your mind. So the most important thing we could be doing as people of God is teaching those behind us and those around us how to think about stuff. Hey, don't get so freaked out. This is not the last season of your life. Don't get so freaked out. Jesus is faithful. Don't get so anxious. This is, this is what God's promises. We have to be able to think about it clearly. Teach it, Paul said. Teach it, Timothy. Teach it, teach it, teach it. Keep teaching it. Teach it. 
correct and encourage in equal measures. Be patient, teach it over and over and over again. Because, verse three, this is an uphill battle. This is an uphill battle. Verse three, for the time will come, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know why teaching the truth of the gospel and how and teaching people how to think about their lives is so important? Because less and less and less people in our society are doing that. What you see is you see more like head down group think than you ever have before in the history of mankind. Come on, you all just lived through crazy political and pandemic. Put your head down, just group thing. Just don't think any different. Just put, just think like everybody. Think like everybody. Think like everybody. Just get everybody to think. And, and here's what we typically, we, you may know this, but I'm going to just read you in on it if you don't. Everybody has smart, my smartphone's in the back. Everybody got a smartphone? Yeah. Get your news app on the smartphone. Uh-huh. Facebook Marketplace. Why will break you right now, won't it? Um, does anybody listen to Spotify? Yeah. Amazon Music? TikTok? Yeah. Do you realize that the algorithms in all of these things, and I'm not, a, I'm not an IT person, I don't know a whole bunch about it, but you do realize that the algorithms, that they, the way they've designed these things is to feed you more of what you already think not something new. So if you lean a certain way politically and you've got a certain type of news app, it doesn't give you the other side. It just gives you more of what you think. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It just gives you more of that side. Facebook marketplace. Oh man. So yesterday I happened to look up center console fishing boats. So what happens is, now when I go on my Facebook Marketplace feed, I see, I told my wife, I said, it must be from the Lord. <laughs> this is all I see. You're going to have to pray and hear from God. I think it's around 24 feet, 200 horsepower. That's all I'm seeing. It must be God. Just keeps feeding it to me. Look at look at that one. Look at that one. Videos on TikTok just gives you more of the videos you like. Just keeps feeding you what you already are hearing. Our whole culture is like just put your head down and just keep drinking from the same fountain over and over and over again. And two thousand years ago, Paul told Timothy, "Hey, listen, man." I'm not joking around. This is going to be an uphill battle because there's going to come a time where people just keep feeding themselves the same thing. They're not even trying to think different, Timothy. They're just feeding themselves the same thing. So they're going to have the same thought process. So they're going to go through the same troubles and trials over and over. Because if you do something the same way, thinking it's going to be different, that's a definition of insane how we are going insane feeding ourselves the same information hoping our lives turn out different 
how many people that you work with, you're related to, literally going insane because they keep feeding themselves the same stuff over and over and over again, and yet nothing changes. Paul tells Timothy, this is going to be an uphill battle because there's going to come a time where people are going to just surround themselves. And the crazy part is we're doing it today and we don't even realize we're doing it. Paul's saying, we got to break out of that. We got to teach people how to think. How to think with the gospel in mind. How to think more like Jesus. We got to teach them how to do that. Stand to your feet. Verse 5 asks for you. He's telling Timothy, after you, when you teach people, here's what I need always be sober minded. Okay, he didn't just tell him what to do. He said, I need you to be clear headed in your thinking. He's swinging all the way back around. Timothy, I'm going to remind you right at the end think right. I told you all the way back at the beginning of this letter, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a power love. Somebody say that last thing, self-control, or clear-minded, sober thinking. Paul's legacy to Timothy is that Christ in Paul caused him to think differently than everyone else. And then he taught Timothy how to think differently. And now he's encouraging Timothy to teach everybody else how to think differently. That same mandate falls on us. If you got kids in here, don't just go along to get along. Teach them how to think. Teach them how to think, and then you'll be able to turn them loose one day, and you won't have to tell them what to do. If you got friends, if you got start having thinking conversations. Start teaching people how to think. It's a church. We can make deposits in the people's lives deposits, 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 deposits. Be patient. Change their minds about stuff. Amen. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. We're going to teach to bring Him glory. We're going to teach people to bring Him glory. We're going to be a thinking church to bring Him glory. Amen. Come on, even if your circumstances, come on, lift your head up and start thinking about who He is. Lift your head up and start thinking about His promises. Lift your head up and start thinking about His goodness. We're going to encourage other people to do the same thing. Amen.